Hello everyone, my name is Chris Marquardt. We're back with another episode of Curiously Polar. And with me as usual is Henry. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm I'm getting better, slowly. We had to skip an episode for uh, health-related reasons. No COVID, just a bit of a throat thing. So talking was hard. <laughs> that sounds suspicious. Bit of a throat thing. Yeah, it was a it was a side strand infection, a side strand angina. Uh, oh, that's your new best friend. That's my totally new best friend. <laughs> Antibiotics are awesome. At least when they work, they are little miracles. Um, but now we are back with an episode about kings and emperors, penguins of the Antarctic. So we're we're not <laughs> not leaving the Antarctic, despite promising that we would. Why? Why on earth, Henry? Because, well, you, you promised. No, I promised. I'm not sure. If I promised, promised something you promised. that you couldn't hold. Is that <laughs> <laughs> my, my I'm not really sure. We, we, we promised that we go a little bit further north. And in fact, actually, we are going a little bit further north because when we are um, going a little bit deeper into penguins, and we will figure out only two of um, those penguin species are actually true Antarctic penguins and isn't, and we have isn't, a few isn't the, aren't, aren't penguins just in the antarctic no exactly not and that's the point why ah. um this is not a false statement that we are going further north okay we're going further north we're slowly slowly leaving the antarctic <laughs> slowly very exactly. slowly and then we have a few weeks of an equator episodes and then we go to the <laughs> north <again. laughs> But when you when you think about Antarctica, what is for you the most symbolic animal um, of the South? Oh, it is clearly the the penguin. Some it is clearly pe some penguin. Exactly. I think there's lots of different ones. Yeah, and when you look through cartoons, that it's very interesting that none of the cartoon penguins actually look really like a penguin. They not really look like one or two of the species. Uh, just look completely out of all the species. Hmm? But that's just a side note. Okay. However. Um, they are living almost exclusively south of the equator, and there is only one exception, and that's the Galapagos penguin, which is found in, at the edge of um, the northern hemisphere. So the Galapagos islands are at the equator, few are north of the equator, few are south of the equator. So the penguins are just spread there all over the islands, and that makes the Galapagos penguin the northernmost penguin of all. And depending on your definition, how short you're actually defining um, north and south, you can actually say that penguins are not limited to the southern hemisphere because the Galapagos penguin, some of them inherit some islands which are slightly north of the equator, possibly. All right. Exciting. <laughs> well, I didn't know this, so I'm... I'm learning as as we speak. Well, thinking about Antarctica, it's the coldest, driest and windiest place as we learned in the past weeks talking a lot about the coldest, driest and windiest place on Earth. Um, it's a huge, lifeless desert for the by far largest part. And the largest land animal is a wingless midge, Belgica Antarctica, which we met in episode 84. Okay. If you probably remember when we met the locals. The toughest, the world's toughest animal, episode 84. Exactly. And now 
people might wonder why is the midge the largest animal of Antarctica? Shouldn't it be the penguin? Well, what do you say? Um, I, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like everything I say now could be wrong. So you tell me. <laughs> it's it's simple because the penguin is not a land animal, even though we experience it when we visit Antarctica, um, mainly on land, in the rookeries where they nest and breed. It's not a land animal. It's a bird. And to be fair, it's a seabird. It spends most of the year out on sea and actually just a very short amount of time on land. However, that short amount of time is also our peak season for visiting Antarctica. And that's actually when we see those penguins, when they come ashore, when they lay their eggs, when they breed, when they mate, and when they raise their chicks. And after they raise the chicks, they're going out of out on sea again and uh, spend the rest of the year out on sea fishing. Which is an amazing thought because, of course, most of the penguin pictures that I have in mind that I that I remember seeing are penguins on land. Naturally, because you, as we as humans, are on land and that's where we meet them. But um, just thinking that most of the time they are not there; they are they, they live in a completely different habitat. Is uh, I find this very interesting. It's a, fr uh, a question of perception, definitely. Mm -hmm. So when you when you come to Antarctica, you you think, wow, they're a native here, and they look so awkward when they just waddle around and when they when they hop from rock to rock and when they uh, slide on their bellies and they stumble, they don't really look like they belong there. And then you learn, oh, they don't belong here because actually they're just here for breeding. And when they're in the water, and when you have a chance to observe them in the water, they're so majestic when they. Um, fly in the water. It, it can't be described any different. It's really flying in the water. It uh, looks really great. Um, and then you see that they are adapted to life in water much, much more than uh, life on land. And that's pretty amazing. It is. Uh, it, it is amazing also uh, because I've recently read about uh, there are some seabirds, um, I don't know where, but there are some seabirds that literally never go on land they spend their entire life out at sea so that always fascinates they might, me they might need to go on land for breeding hmm then, acts then maybe my information isn't isn't complete maybe that when you see for example albatrosses who spent um all the time out on sea except for the breeding time okay And when people see them out on sea, it's just like, wow, we're so far away from land and we still see birds. <laughs> yeah, because they're seabirds, <laughs> they, they do. don't need land. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's completely mind-blowing for, for, for people. But um, yeah, you, you have those examples. And when you see the Arctic Turn, for example, which travels between the north and the south and basically circumnavigates the globe once per year just um, for migration, then you know they are spending the entire time out on sea and that's especially for an arctic turn tiny little bird uh a pretty huge thing to think about when you see those vast oceans i always feel a little lost when i am out on the open ocean i'm, I'm sorry i'm i'm distracted because i'm now looking for the seabird that never goes on land and i can't <laughs> I can't find it. I found the okay. This is a sidebar, but I just found the frigate, the frigate, 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 frigate that uh, can't land on water, but it's a seabird, 
And it spends two entire months in the air. That's very exhausting, just <laughs> thinking about it. I think, well, if you glide, that might, but, but can, okay, they have their special way of sleeping, I guess, but interesting, interesting. interesting. Oh, yeah, they probably just sleep with one part of the brain. That's what birds do, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, that's what I do as well. <laughs> Are you a bird? <laughs> <laughs> um, However, let's go back to penguins. You didn't answer my question. I wonder, yes or a no? Are you a bird? What was the question? Are you a bird? Am I a bird? You said you I'm sleep the same way. <laughs> I'm not a bird, even though I have a couple of feathers. No. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Um, interesting, though, penguins are birds. Um, for sure, they're non-flying birds, so they're aquatic birds. They spend most of the time in the water, and they're fully adapted to life in water, but they're not able to fly and that's through evolution um they are the most common birds in antarctica and they live in colonies with populations larger than some cities and surprisingly they're surviving the harshest conditions which is also um you know not really surprising because when you survive in frigid cold water then it's also very likely that you survive similar conditions on land However, when you think about penguins, what do you think how many different species are out there of penguins? I have no idea. You have no idea? No. Why guess? Uh, 10, 20? Yeah, that's a pretty good guess. Okay. It's uh, between 17 or 18. It depends oh, okay. which school of counting you're following. I stick with the 17 different penguin species. And out of those 17 penguin species, it's only two which make Antarctica their true home. And those two, out of those two, it's probably one who is like the symbol, the emblem of Antarctica, and that's the emperor penguin. Yes. And then there is one which not long ago came to some fame through a Disney nature documentary, and that's Adelie penguins, which are slightly smaller than emperors and look completely different, even though they have a beak and two wings and two feet. But emperor penguins, the largest penguins of all, and Adelie penguins are among the smaller ones. But, they, you... but they look very prototypical penguins still. Who? The, the Adelie penguins. I'm just looking at the picture here. Oh, they look like a stereotype um, penguin, that's for sure, yeah. yes. They, like, what, what all the penguins have in, uh, in common is that they have the striking black and white coat. So they have uh, usually a white belly and a black back, which is kind of a countershading in nature, especially for um, marine mammals. When you think about whales or seals, they usually have a brighter belly than they have back at uh, the back because when you're swimming in the water, then you want to blend in to camouflage a little bit. And when you look from the top, then the ocean looks dark. So your back is dark, so you blend in. But when you look from the abyss up to the surface, then you look out to the to the bright spot. That's like interesting. Light at the end of the tunnel, and then your white belly blends in as well i didn't think and about that but it makes perfect sense and that is actually what penguins have adapted to as well and um yeah those uh, beautiful 
Adelie penguins. They are um, named after Adelie land, which again is named after Adelie Dumont de Ville, the wife of the French explorer Jules Dumont de Ville. And um, they are very distinct black and white. It's probably one of the very few penguins which are really just black and white. They have an almost black um, beak. They have feathers reaching very, very far to the front of the beak. So almost the entire beak is covered by little feathers. But they have a very distinct shape of their head. And they have those huge white light ring around their eyes, which makes them very, very obvious when you see them among other penguins. They stick really out. They get... Um, up to 70 centimeters tall. Usually they are around 50 to 60. While the emperor penguins are almost double the size. They are, they are really big ones, yeah. Yeah, the emperors are the largest ones, 122 centimeters. So almost one and a half meters. It's uh, 48 inch, roughly. And they get up to 45 kilograms on weight, which is roughly 99 pounds. And that's a pretty amazing. Um, we still have to burst the bubble. There are no penguins at the South Pole. I don't know where this uh, rumor came from, but penguins stick actually to the coastal areas of um, the Antarctic Peninsula. Antarctica, shelf ices. Um, emperor penguins, for example, nest on shelf ice, or they they breed on shelf ice. They don't really nest, they breed there. And that makes them those penguins which mm, survive the harshest conditions because they have a little, a slightly different cycle than um, other penguins. They breed throughout winter, the Antarctic winter, when it's um, dark and cold and very windy. And they keep their egg warm throughout that time. While all the other penguins, they use their very short Antarctic summer. So they come in spring. They try to find the highest elevated rocks, um, which hopefully are already exposed, and build nests there. And then you have guests coming there in summer and just asking, why are those little penguins walking all the way up to the top? And it's very easy to explain because that's the first areas on the islands or on the coastline which are ice and snow free when the snow melts that's really so they interesting. have they have the longest period to have an ice free rookery where they actually can put their their egg down in the ground and keep it warm so i mean the, 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 the there's several things um here the, the one is closeness to the coast of course if the water is there actual habitat then they probably don't want to get, go too far away from the water which uh i guess as you said the emperors can do because they uh, do that in winter um but then the others how far would that be away up up to those peaks are we talking kilometers are we talking just uh hundreds of meters and that's really dependent um the emperor penguins that can track up to 50 to 120 kilometers from really? okay. the from open water to the breeding colonies and Adelis have similar ranges because they are actually, or they can actually breed in similar 
areas as well. However, most penguins, when they um, breed in coastal areas, they're climbing, climbing up some hills. And when we do, when we do landings, for example, on Danko Island, and we, um, we 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 spit out the our, our guests there and invite them to walk up um, the little hill, which is the center of Danko Island. And people are just really, oh my god, that's super high, out of breath, and it's a one one hundred and thirty-one meter high hill, and you will find Gentoo penguins all the way to the top. So they they are breeding all over there. It's not really high, one hundred thirty meters compared to the possibilities, but it's very high for a tiny fifty to sixty centimeters tall bird. And, and you see how they are hopping up there. And you, you're not um, supposed to forget that they they have a very thick feather um, dress, which they're carrying with them. So they're very, very much insulated for the coldest waters in the, on the planet. And when they walk up there, that heats them up tremendously. They, they can't just take it off, unfortunately. Exactly. It's not like our, our guests, they just take off their big coats and just carry them over their shoulders and still are um, super hot. But the penguins can't. So the, the way they are actually chilling down, cooling down is um, eating snow and by um, spreading their, their wings out. So when you see them walking and they have those wings um, spread away from the body, that's their way of, of, of um, chilling down. You will very often see that the the underside, the inside of the of the of the wings, is very uh, skin color, yeah, almost orange reddish. That's because the um, the blood veins are very very thin under the surface of um, of the skin there, and that's a, a little bit like the panting for a dog when the dog pants through its tongue. It's similar for penguins when they just spread the wings. Hmm. They cool down. They chill. And, um, yeah, because they just can't take off their fur. Eating snow uh, makes, makes makes perfect sense there. Yep, e eating snow is also a way of um, um, getting some, some water in, right, yeah. to, to drink. They are able to drink salt water, though, but um, if they have the chance, of course, the snow, fresh water is um, much easier because it takes energy to um, filter the salt out of the uh, ocean water. Interesting. I'm I'm fascinated. <laughs> totally fascinated. I'm learning new things. So along the the peninsula, for example, where most of our trips are going, or where the vast majority of guests are experiencing Antarctica, we have a chance to see Adelie penguins. We definitely see Gen Two penguins. We see Chinstrap penguins, and with a bit of chance. We see macaroni penguins. Macaroni, like like the food. Yes. yes, like the food. They look a little bit like Boris Johnson. You have to imagine the haircut of Boris Johnson on a penguin. That's a macaroni penguin. <laughs> yeah, As, I, I'm um, looking at one on Wikipedia right now. Okay, <laughs> yeah, definitely a similar a similarity there. <laughs> And then we have also the rock hopper, which looks also similar to uh, the macaroni one. The, uh, the, the rock hopper penguin, for example, is uh, native to the Falkland Islands. And um, yeah, it's a crested penguin like the macaroni one, but it has a, 
um, shorter crest than the macaroni one. So um, for me, the rock hopper is the Donald Trump penguin and the macaroni penguin is the Boris Johnson one. <laughs> I haven't said that out loud, right? <laughs> uh, I will not edit this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go on. The macaroni penguins also very, very nice, um, has red eyes pretty amazing so when you when you have a chance to get a close look it's not only the black and white with this um, accent color of of yellow that's the crest around their their forehead over their eyes and then you see this red shiny eyes looks a little bit evil so it's kind of a boris johnson version of a penguin okay well well uh, we will put an email address where you can complain into the show notes <laughs> this will not go to me <laughs> And you have Gen 2 penguins, um, which have also a very nice black and, and, and white coat. Then they have um, red uh, orangey feet, um, red orangey beak, and they have white patches uh, behind their um, eyes. And those white patches, they are actually connected on, their, on top of their head. It looks a little bit like they're wearing uh, white headphones. And they sound a little bit like the call of a donkey. That's also the reason why in some languages, Gen 2 penguin is translated into donkey penguin. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to understand that, but um, yeah, the explanation makes sense in a way. Then you have the Adelie penguin, which we already talked about, has a short black beak, has a significant black eye, but the white ring makes it very certain, very easy to distinguish. And then you have also... Um, the chin strap penguin, and um, here comes my question to you. How do you distinguish a chin strap penguin from the others? What could be the feature to identify a chin strap penguin? I like how orn ornithologists have very inventive names for animals. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Isn't it? I think, okay, <laughs> they obviously have something... Uh, like a strap around the chin. This reminds me of Douglas Adams' Last Chance to See, wonderful book to read about uh, almost extinct species. And uh, he went to to find the long finger opossum. And he wondered why, a long it had, finger opossum. why it had that name. And of course, it does have one long finger to, to, go, for, <laughs> to go for grubs under barks and that kind of stuff. So the chin strap penguin has a chin strap. That's my Indeed, guess. Indeed, it does. Wild guess. It, <laughs> it does. <So laughs> when you approach a, a colony on a zodiac, for example, and um, you see just black and white birds from the distance, then for an experienced guide, it's rather easy to identify the penguin uh, very quickly because you have certain shapes. You don't have to see every single detail, but you have certain things that's very obvious. Chinstrap penguin, for example, has a lot of white on the body. So the whole face is white, except for the top of the head, which is black. And the chin strap is a rather uh, thin line around its chin. And it looks from a close on perspective a little bit like that penguin is wearing a helmet. It, does. it looks a little bit like a soldier. I'm looking me. at the photo on Wikipedia and uh, that photo was taken on Deception Island, which we talked about. Yes. Then. Which Everything's is coming together. Indeed. And Deception Island is the largest chin strap um, colony in Antarctica. Right. And that's pretty amazing too. I'm not sure if it still is. It used to be. And the chin strap pangolin also is the largest um, 
population of penguins. That's the largest population of penguins of all the penguins. Oh, really? I've, yes, I've, is, I haven't heard of chinstrap penguins so far. I might have seen some on photos, but I don't really distinctively remember that. And you say that there's more chinstrap penguins than other, any other penguin in the world. Yes, indeed. Wow. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you, when you look at a chinstrap penguin... Um, it's not only the the big white, and when you look at the picture at Wikipedia, for example, that's a very nice example. Um, you see the, the the yellow eye, you see the the big white area, you see the uh, very thin chin strap, yeah. but you also see the underside of the right wing, the pink, which the is pi the pink pink colored yes. uh, right wing. Yep, exactly, and that gives you an idea that this penguin probably just came out of the water, is a little bit um, hot, and just tries to cool down a bit. We will have a whole lot of links to different penguins in, in our show oh, notes. Oh, definitely. Sure, yes. that's, that's for sure. Because when you then um, move further to the penguin, which you most like, you would see the most when you go along the Antarctic pen um, Peninsula, then it's a Gen 2 penguin. And the Gen 2 penguin from the far distance is, um, is having a white a belly sight, and then he has an entirely black face with an orange beak. And as soon as you have the black head and the orange beak you don't have to see the white patches behind his eyes you just have to see the the red spot or the orange uh, spot of the beak um, in this black head and then you see that's a gen 2 penguin because the other one who has an entirely black head along the Antarctic peninsula is the adelie penguin and the beak of the adelie penguin is more black it doesn't really shine that red and the adelie penguin then has this tiny little detail of that white ring around the eye and size also matters of course but if you don't have another penguin species close by to compare then it makes it a bit difficult to assess the size then you have um emperor penguins which is not so likely to see along the antarctic peninsula because as we said already they are more likely to breed on shelf ices which you don't have that much in the peninsula area but um, we were lucky enough this season to see one molting emperor penguin close to a Ukrainian research station called uh, Vernatsky Station. That um, is my first and only emperor penguin I've seen so far. And then you have the slightly smaller um, relative of the emperor penguin, and that's the king penguin, which you will see in South Georgia. And king penguin for me is like the most beautiful of all penguins. That's just for me personally. And that's just because of the intense color. He has also um, black and white, of course. But then he has those yellow patches on the side of the head and has a, a very, um, very nice little uh, yellow patch on the front, on the, on the cheek. Uh, on the neck and on the sides of the beak as well really amazing birds they um get also one one meter 1.1 meter tall so that's um pretty amazing when you walk um along a beach and then you have a penguin who is um getting up to your hip that's a significant height and the size of the colonies at south georgia is just amazing and when you go to St Andrews Bay it's just 
hilarious how many penguins are there. It's just St. Andrews that has 150,000 um, breeding pairs. It's a huge colony. And it's not even the largest. But um, yeah, beautiful bird. Hmm. And then there are other birds in other parts of the world that look like penguins, but they aren't penguins. Yeah, we have um, in the northern hemisphere, uh, we have an, uh, an equivalent for, a pengu- uh, for the penguins, and that's the orcs. Yeah, when you have little orcs, for example, in Svalbard, um, have the same appearance, but still can fly. Yeah. Why, why do they still can fly and why do penguins not fly? And that's a question of evolution. There was no necessity in um, Antarctica to fly, but it was more important to um, dive deeper and to uh, dress warmer according to the conditions. And so that um, evolution has just um, made the bones much uh, stronger, much thicker from uh, for penguins. So they actually are heavier and um, can, for example, dive much deeper than uh, little orcs can. But you also have, um, for example, um, the puffin, which almost looks like a penguin, puffins, but can fly. Puffins. I think puffins are the ones that I that I remember looking, looking from a distance, and they're sitting somewhere, and they kind of look like small penguins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The colorful beak and everything else, black and white. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> Henry, thank you so much for making us all a bit more of a penguin expert. I've learned a lot, very, very much. Very happy, but now, now when I'm out there, I can tell the difference just by looking at at least some of them. Um, I have one. I, I I will add one link to the show notes that is more on the uh, funny side, and <laughs> that's something I came across a while ago. Uh, you know uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh yes, he sure. <laughs> is very well known for his voice. He's done not just uh, acting, but also narrating of things, and he narrated. Uh, BBC documentary about uh, penguins in the South Pacific and uh, apparently he can't say the word penguin so we will link that have a look at it it's uh, it's fun to watch <laughs> it definitely is yeah okay um, that brings us to the end of this episode about penguins and we will be back in a week from now with more um, you can of course obviously find us at our website curiouslypolar.com on twitter at curiouslypolar on instagram at curiouslypolar um, if you want to listen to any of the other almost 100 episodes in uh, in our history then you will find all that on curiouslypolar.com a quick thanks uh, at this point also for some donations especially Andreas and Gab- Gabriel uh, the financial support is very welcome uh, if you especially in a time like now where we both cannot travel. So um, thanks for that. It helps us cover some of the infrastructure costs. And if anyone else is inclined to help, and if you can, then uh, we'd be more than happy uh, to receive something from you. You will find that information in the show notes and on curiouslyporter.com. If you can't, don't worry about it. This is, this is not mandatory. Um, and uh, I know that a lot of people right now can't so that is fine too we'll keep doing the show and we'll be back in a week from now until then take care everyone